Are you open to the Spirit? Are you open to the Spirit? Now, some taxi journeys in KL can be pretty interesting, or so I've found. More than a decade ago, I was with my friend and fellow intern here at St. Mary's, Christopher Flint. Some of you have been around for that long, may well remember him. And Chris and I, we needed to get to a, a mission event in town, and we didn't have a car of our own back then. And so with no car, we hailed uh, a taxi. And uh, the minute this taxi pulled up on the curb, we could tell that our driver for that day was pretty religious. He had a cross dangling from the rearview mirror. He had a little, one of those little plastic signs saying, honk if you love Jesus, on the back window. It's pretty rare. We were quite encouraged, pleasantly surprised. And so, of course, as Chris and I got into the taxi and we started talking uh, to him, in no time at all, he asked us, two white guys in the middle of KL, so what are you doing here? We told him what we were doing, and he got really excited. You've come from the UK to serve in a church here in KL. And so he asked us, well, where, where are you serving? Which church are you based at? And so we told him, oh, we're at a, a St. Mary's Anglican Church down by Dataram Madurka. And, and the minute we told him which church we were based at, suddenly the mood in the taxi changed. This guy went from smiling and super excited to frowning and rather somber. And Chris and I wondered, what, what, have we, what have we done? Have we said something wrong? He didn't say anything for a bit, and then finally he plucked up the courage and he asked us, are you boys open to the Spirit? Are you open to the Spirit? Now, we might have our suspicions as to why he asked that question once he had been told that we were serving here at an Anglican church, but I wonder, if we had been in the taxi that morning, how would we have responded would we have said, yes, yes, of course we're open to the Spirit's work. It's fundamental. And if we had, what evidence would we have given to show that it is true? That yes, St. Mary's and Smack as church gatherings, we are a church that is open to the Spirit's, that see His work as foundational and vital. We desire to see the Spirit at work amongst us. What does that even look like for a church today? This morning we begin this four-part series on the work of the spirits. Over the next month or so, we're hopefully going to see what God has to say by his spirit-inspired word about the work of the spirit in the lives of us, his people. Today we're starting with the topic, the spirit who saves. And as we come to John 3... We will see how he goes about that. But before we get there, I just want us to notice how John introduces these verses to us at the end of chapter 2. Just flick back your page. John 2, and let me just read quickly John 2, 23. John 2, 23, and we read... Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So just to get our bearings, Jesus to this point in John's Gospel has been doing incredible signs uh, as part of his public earthly ministry. Uh, one we've already seen in John is uh, his, the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. 
And many, as a result of seeing the signs, have begun to follow Jesus, marveling at him. Some have said to even believe on his name, but see what John says in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You see, Jesus, alone as God's Son, could see the hearts of these would-be followers and could see that these hearts were not sincere. They were seeking after Jesus because they saw the great signs, but they had no real interest in following him as king. And so Jesus does not receive them at this point. He sees pride in the heart of man, self-seeking pride that keeps these men from taking Jesus seriously. And so that brings us on to our first heading. Why must the Spirit save? Why must the Spirit save? And as we come to John 3, we are given another man, Nicodemus. Let me read from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what are we told about him? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was revered and respected by the Jews as a teacher of God's law. And when he wasn't in the classroom, he was at the local town hall. He belonged to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council that ruled the Jews in Palestine at that time. So this guy, Nicodemus, he is a religious and a political heavyweight. In the Jews' eyes, this guy has a lot to take pride in. As far as they're concerned, if anyone is going to get to heaven, it is this guy, Nicodemus. John's told us his credentials, but then see, as Nicodemus starts to talk to Jesus on this night, we see the convictions he holds. Verse 2, he starts by addressing Jesus as Rabbi, Rabbi. Now, that that was a sign of genuine respect, especially when it was spoken of by a rabbi to another. But John has already made clear, if we'd started from John 1, we would have already seen of Jesus that he is no mere rabbi. He is the living word of God made flesh. He is God in the person of his son. So for anyone to merely call him rabbi, well, it'd be like us today saying of Lee Chong Wei, where he is a part-time badminton coach. I mean, it's true, he, he is, he does teach Babington, or he has, but he is so much more. He was world number one. See, Jesus by addressing, uh, sorry, Nicodemus by addressing Jesus as rabbi shows that he doesn't actually really know who Jesus is at all, but he thinks he does. So verse two, again, see how he carries on. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, he tells Jesus, well, we can see who you are. You are a fellow teacher with us because of all the wonderful signs that God is clearly doing through you. But Jesus is not interested in small talk with Nicodemus. He gets straight to the point in response as he seeks to lovingly show Nicodemus how truly he doesn't understand these spiritual matters that he claims to know so well. So verse 3. See how Jesus responds to Nicodemus? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus has, has just claimed that he can see God working in Jesus as a teacher. But now Jesus challenges Nicodemus in response, no, unless you've been born again, or that can read born from above, Nicodemus, you won't even see the kingdom of God. You're not getting into heaven. And that is for Jesus really to step on Nicodemus' toes at this point. Remember who he is? His job is to teach the Jews. It was his job to prepare God's people for the coming of the kingdom. And as a Pharisee, his conviction would have been that the way that you do that, that you prepare for God's kingdom, is by a stupulous obedience to God's law. That's how you get into heaven, an obedience to the law that God gave to his people through Moses, of which Nicodemus was one. You can and you must work your way according to the law and all of the other laws that we've put on top of this law, and God will accept you in the end. Jesus has just given him a startling wake-up call. No, 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 no. Unless you've been born again, you're not going to see heaven. And he is shocked by this, Nicodemus. Verse 4, see how he responds? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and, and be born? It's a vulgar image. It reeks of cynicism. As Nicodemus misunderstands and as he, I think, partly sarcastically takes Jesus literally. I mean, how can a man be physically born again of his mother? Vulgar idea. But Jesus just keeps on chipping away at the foundation that Nicodemus has been building his life before God upon. So he doesn't stop. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. First, Jesus has insisted you must be born again, but now he clarifies what he means. Not a second physical birth, that would be impossible. No, a birth of water and the Spirit. And as we scan the Old Testament Scriptures, we stumble upon the prophecy of Ezekiel that we had read for us just a moment ago. God's prophet Ezekiel speaking to his people, enduring exile, judgment at this time. And what does God promise them for Ezekiel? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see how Israel, as God's people, are identified here? They are those who have hearts of stone. Uh, those who are idolaters, who have not loved and honored God throughout their history as they should have according to the law. And God says to them here, he identifies the problem, that they have hearts of stone. They are fixed, hardened, and turned away from him. But God promises, I will wash you. I will clean you. I will put my spirit within you, who will change your hearts and cause you to walk in my statutes, to actually desire me as you should. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, having referred to Ezekiel, look, you are either in one camp or the other. You are either dirty before God, or you have been made clean, washed clean by his promise. So we come back to John 3, verse 6. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, when we, many years ago, when we first got our pet dog, Momo, there she is, one of the hardest tasks that I faced with her, the first dog that I've ever personally owned, uh, that's been in our household, one of the hardest tasks we faced was training her to do her business in the right room, only one room in what was the small apartment that Melissa and I were living in. The kids hadn't come along yet. It was Melissa and I, Momo, and we were trying to train her, you do your business in this room and no other room because it was a room that we tended not to use. We were in a small apartment. We didn't have a garden that time for her to go out into. So Momo, you do your business in this room, not everywhere else. And, and I tried to uh, find ways to encourage her. So when it looked like she really needed to go, I picked her up and put her into the room and I waited. And then eventually she'd come out. Sometimes she'd done a business, sometimes she hadn't. I give her a reward. But uh, eventually, after months and months of trying this, it dawned on us, Momo was not going to do her business in just one room in the apartment. <laughs> Momo was going to go wherever Momo wanted to go. Because by nature, dogs want to do their business everywhere. It is part of a deep-rooted primal instinct in order for them to mark their territory and say, this is my space. And Momo thought that her space was the entire apartment. So the golden rule that we laid down for Momo, you should go in this room and this room only, it didn't lead to rewards for her, really, in the end. All it led to to her doing is breaking this golden rule and being scolded by me constantly. Deep down in her nature, she couldn't just go in the one room, she wanted to go everywhere. Friends, that is our relationship to sin in the flesh. Jesus says here, he tells us, he tells Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh. It's not referring merely to our physical bodies, but our fallen nature that comes with it in our physical birth. How we have been born into the corruption of sin. Now, God didn't create us this way in the beginning. He created us to know and enjoy him, to honor him as our creator, and to find our rest in him where it can only be found. But ever since our first parents turned away from God in sin, rebelled against his word rather than received his good word, well, so we choose to walk their path, to embrace the sin that we are born into. Jesus warns us later in John's Gospel in John 7, he who sins is a slave to sin. We desire deep down to rebel against God in and of ourselves, and that desire in turn is an addiction that we cannot break from in our own strength. It's what is meant by our fallen nature. And we see it, the Old Testament testifies to it in Israel's story. God gave them his good law, his good commands by which they would know the blessing of his rule and his security and his provision. But all that law served to do was expose them as lawbreakers because deep down in their hearts they did not know or love God. They did not want to. The law came along and it aroused their sinful nature and merely exposed them as lawbreakers. So Paul puts it this way in Corinthian, to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. He says simply, the letter kills. 
the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the letter, which means the law of God, brings death. Rules, regulations cannot help us to know and love God rightly and have life in His rest. We need a fresh start. We need, as Jesus says to Nicodemus here, to be born again, born from above, to, as it were, receive a new nature. And that is something that we cannot do in our own power. That is something that only comes by the Spirit's work over which we do not control. See what Jesus says in verse 8. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, now, I know this is not the popular view of spirituality that we see in our world today. Like Nicodemus, humanity in general has a pretty high view of itself, particularly with spiritual matters. And so we have guys like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. There's Ned. If you haven't seen The Simpsons, Ned is considered the good Christian on the streets in Springfield. Because you see, throughout this series, Ned does right by God, and so God does right by Ned. He plays by the rules, and God helps him out of his difficulties when he faces them in the hopes of heavenly rewards eventually. But that is a caricature of the Christian faith. That is not the Christian faith. In fact, Ned has more in common with every other religion in our world. Do this, do that, and God might accept you. I wonder, maybe this morning, that's where we're coming from. We believe that if we play by the rules as we see them, that God will reward us and accept us in the end. My friends, Jesus paints for us a very different picture here that if we are left to our own devices, like Israel, like Nicodemus, we are those with hearts of stone, with natures that are turned away from God, that do not seek Him or love Him. And rules cannot fix that. They just expose our sin. No, we don't need rules. We need a fresh start with God, a fresh start that wonderfully God loves to give in His grace by the work of His Spirit, and how does he do it? How must the Spirit save? Well, we see as Jesus continues to speak to Nicodemus of God's plans to save. But Nicodemus at this point is still in such doubt. He can't believe what Jesus just told him. Verse 9, again, he responds, how can these things be? Jesus responds, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? For Jesus, this is spirituality 101. And that Nicodemus should have understood somehow because he was already steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures, knew them better than anyone in this room, even Tim Nichols. Nicodemus knew the prophecy of Ezekiel, <laughs> the promise of our hearts washed clean by God. But he hadn't understood their necessity for him, that he needed, even as a teacher of Israel, as one steeped in the Scriptures, in the law, he needed this fresh start with God as much as anyone else. So Jesus continues, verse 11, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
Jesus now speaks of the witness he shares with his own father. Nicodemus had come to him saying, we know who you are, speaking of the Pharisees and him. Well, now Jesus speaks of the witness to who he is, how the father has sent him into our world as the light to open our blind eyes. But Nicodemus, despite knowing earthly things, despite having God's promises in the Old Testament, despite seeing the great signs Jesus was doing in his midst, he refuses to take Jesus' words seriously, even though they are God's words by his Son. You see, Nicodemus can't do that because he is yet to know the work of the Spirit in his life. And Jesus, understanding that, knows it will be so much harder for this man to now accept what he has to share with him next. What Jesus speaks of here as heavenly things, that is, things that have not yet been made clear, made known to this point. Verse 13, Jesus starts to speak of these heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Jesus again points Nicodemus back to his Old Testament speaks of this Son of Man who was a a promised ruler we read of in the book of Daniel, uh, who receives all authority from God to rule the nations, to, to restore God's rightful rule over creation that we have messed up in our sin. And Jesus infers that He Himself is the Son of Man who has come to make this possible. But now He connects the dots in a way that the Old Testament never clearly does. See what he says next in verse 14? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So suddenly the Son of Man, God's promised king for his world, is depicted by Jesus as the bronze serpent from the book of Numbers. Uh, The bronze serpent was this provision that God made for his people because they had sinned against him again. And so he punished them, but he told Moses, you make this bronze servant and you raise it up in the camp and whoever looks at it will be spared the judgment that they deserve. And Jesus says that he as the Son of Man is both God's King, but I am also the serpent who will be raised up that whoever looks on me may have eternal life. We come to the most famous verse in all the scriptures, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believe on him might not perish but have eternal life. And friends, this is the foundation by which the Spirit saves us for God in a way we can't possibly hope to do, as he brings us in our hearts to a living faith in the Son, so that we might not rest on our merits that cannot save, that cannot make up for our sin, but we can rest on His that are sufficient. His every effort that we could not own ourselves. It's a bit like my marriage to Melissa. You know, Melissa, my wife. When I got married to Melissa, it was a pretty good deal for me, personally. Other than she's wonderful, yes, but because in my youth, I did not plan well financially. I was quite reckless. I went and bought a car when I shouldn't have. I went out with my friends when I shouldn't have. So by the time I was 25, I didn't really have a penny to my name. Instead, I had these large student debts from a degree I'm yet to use. But (laughs) Melissa, Melissa planned well. Very good. 
very self-controlled. She was taught from young, and she put the money in the bank constantly, uh, every, every week. And so by the time she came to 25, um, she had decent savings. Uh, even for a 50-year-old, I think she had decent savings, and she had no student loan to pay. And when Melissa and I became one, <laughs> as a married couple, my debts became her debts. <laughs> and her savings became my savings. It was great. It's terrible, I know. Similarly, the Spirit is the one who now works to bring us to faith in Christ that we might rest on His merits not ours. That our every sin that we could never hope to repay is covered entirely by the blood that He shed for us under His Father's judgment. And in return, His righteousness, His life of love for God and neighbor, becomes counted to us by faith. So by faith, we can say, as the Spirit works, as God promised to Israel, our hearts are washed clean of every sin. They are made new. They are made acceptable before God. They are no longer sitting under His condemnation, the condemnation for sin. No, in Christ, rather than the judgment we deserve in hell, we have a future worth living for. This is how Paul says in Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry, Abba, Father. See, as the Spirit brings us to faith in the Son, we are adopted back into the household of the Son. We are adopted back to God. Sons and heirs with Christ. And so God could not love us more if our faith is in Christ, because as He looks on us now, He sees nothing but the beautiful obedience of His Son. But this only comes to us as the Spirit joins us to Christ in faith. As He softens our heart that we do not constantly give back into our impulse to reject God in our sin, but we are given eyes to see our need for Christ and to receive His mercy. See, John gives us this concluding judgment. The Spirit-saving work is a battle for the heart. Verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Here we see the real issue for deeply religious men like Nicodemus, who desire to rely on their own works to secure a place in heaven, who think in their pride, I can do it. You see, when the light of Christ comes and shines and exposes by the Spirit, Nicodemus' heart exposes it for what it is. As one who Jesus says here, it is evil, it is one who hates the light. Well, so Nicodemus does not come to him. You see, Nicodemus may have seemed like a good man to many, but God alone could see his pride. His hubris, which meant that as he approached Jesus as God's son, he considered Jesus an equal with him. 
as those who are born of the flesh, left to our own devices, that is what we instinctively do. We don't receive Christ, we run from him, lest we be exposed. Because deep down in our hearts, he tells us, we are those born of the flesh. We are those who desire the darkness. We are those who, left to our own devices, would choose to live away from God and the blessing of his rule and provision that he made us for, rather than love and honor him and enjoy him as we should. But thankfully, John ends our verses on the most positive note. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. By God's grace, some will remain in the light. And I pray that we here this morning are amongst that number. Uh, Those who are exposed by Jesus and yet at the same time respond by throwing ourselves on him and his mercy. And that is how we show that we are those who are truly born of the Spirit. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's not to say, I mean, no one can, you, of course you can say the words, but no one can say from their heart and mean it. I know Christ as my Lord. I'm trusting on him. I'm living for him in response to the great love he's shown me. No one can do that apart from the Spirit. And thankfully, Nicodemus was one of them. He did eventually come into the light, as we see him later in John's Gospel, honoring Jesus as Lord as he prepares a burial for him. Nicodemus is one who did know the joy of sins forgiven, of his conscious cleansed, as the Spirit had brought him to faith in the Son. Friends, if we are open to the Spirit's work here at SMAC, then we will be keeping Jesus at the center. We will be proclaiming and rejoicing in him, not ourselves. Looking to him as our only hope for life with God, not ourselves. It doesn't matter how spiritual a ministry might appear. If it is not pointing others to Christ and building them up in him, then whatever is at work there, it is not the Spirit who saves. Let's think through the implications for us. Firstly, the Spirit who saves and us. We are given here Nicodemus, a man of good reputation, a man in authority, trusted teacher for God's people, and yet he was blind to his most fundamental need to be born through faith in the Messiah. In fact, his religious credentials, his revered reputation, that's actually what kept him from trusting on Christ, from receiving him. We've got to ask for ourselves. We might think, well, look, we're, we're regular church members. Maybe we're in a growth group. We're on the serving roster. We belong here, and that gives us a sense of security before God. That's where we look to know that we are his people. Friends, if our assurance is shifting to those things and away from Christ, away from what God has done for us in him by his Spirit, washing us clean through faith in the Son alone, well, then we are no less foolish than Nicodemus here. Or the Galatian church that Paul writes to. See what he says, Galatians 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, this church came close to tearing itself apart because having been brought to faith in Christ by the Spirit's power, having been brought to depend on Him as their only security, they then started to look away and look back to their works of the law, 
for assurance. And so suddenly they thought as a church, we've got a reason to be proud. We've got something that we can measure one another against. And so they tore away at each other with no humility, with no appreciation of grace, as they boasted in their works. It's a sure way for us to fail. So we boast in works until the point that we do mess up in our sin as we will, and having taken our eyes off of Christ, we are slow to look back to Him for the assurance of forgiveness and new life with God that He alone can bring. Our foundation before God is and always will be the new birth He's granted us by His Spirit that shows as we confess Christ is Lord and Saviour from start to end. So Christianity is not about turning over a new leaf, it's about receiving from God a new life, and so repenting and believing on Christ each day. Is that true for us? When you sin, is Jesus the one you look to for forgiveness and hope? When you succeed, is Jesus the one you look to in thanksgiving and praise? I love the way David Tripp puts it, Paul David Tripp. Grace will tell you how poor you are while it lavishes spiritual riches on you too great to be calculated. This is what we've got to continue looking to and rejoicing in, that we have been brought from such poverty from being to God spiritually dead. And He has brought us to new and abundant life in Christ to share in His eternal riches, not not because of anything that we have done, but because God has poured His Spirit into our hearts that we might take hold of His mercy and never let go of it. Well, secondly, the Spirit who saves and others, if we know the love of God by His Spirit, well, then we will be keen to serve and love others as we have been loved. And Jesus' priority was to point Nicodemus to his greatest need, forgiveness and new life with God as only the Spirit can bring. As we, as a church, point others to Christ, do we recognize how crucial the work of the Spirit is? for our witness to be effective as we share the gospel with our friends and our family, do we see this for what it is? It is a battle of the heart. As we declare the good news of Christ crucified, are we praying as much as we are witnessing that God would graciously take our gospel words and by His Spirit convict sin and open blind eyes to the truth for the sake of our friends, our family, and our colleagues. We must be praying for the Spirit to work. No one has ever been brought to repentance and faith in Christ as a result of just mere clever human arguments. It is a work of the Spirit as He takes our witness. But it also impacts how we encourage each other as a church. So here on a Sunday, or in our growth group, or if we're following up someone one-to-one, We're warned here, Nicodemus came from the right religious circles. Everyone thought that of all the guys, this one belonged. He was bound for heaven. And that kept him from trusting on Christ alone. It's a warning for us as we care for others if we assume that someone whom we care for is trusting in Christ alone and they are not, then as you promote them in godliness, as you seek to encourage them to live a life worthy of the gospel that they haven't really grasped, Well, Jesus tells us here you are effectively telling a corpse to get up and walk. Hear Jesus' words, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot know life with God. 
So as you seek to encourage others, regardless of what church they came from or whatever qualifications they hold, we always start with grace. That our only hope is that we are saved by God, by His Spirit bringing us to faith in Christ alone, and we don't move on from that point until, yes, they agree. Friends, a church which is open to the Spirit's work is a church that continually points one another to Christ as our only hope. So let's be doing this now and always. Let's be asking God to be working by His Spirit through our witness for the good of His kingdom and for the glory of His name. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You did indeed send your light in Christ into the world. It exposes our sin deep down, what we are like by nature, turn from you. But we thank you that by Christ and his gospel, this is the very power that your spirit uses to soften our hardened hearts to turn us back that we might take hold of this great love you have shown us in your Son and never let go. Father, please help us to be those who are ever repenting and ever believing on Christ as our only hope and so bearing forth the work of the Spirit. And help us as we seek to share the good news of eternal life with others to be mindful of the need for the Spirit to be working, to be praying as much as we seek to witness, trusting that as we do, you will graciously be at work to save by your Spirit through faith in your Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.